We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, welcome to True Faith Podcast. I'm Alex Hurst, joined by Ben Wade and Andrew Bolland on the line. We're trying something a little bit different tonight with the audio, so hopefully it's vastly improved from the normal preview podcasts. Hello to listeners also on Radio Tyneside who are listening to this on Saturday. Lads, big week ahead for Newcastle United. We have Blackburn at home, Hull away and then Forest away in the space of a week. True Faith podcast will be at them all, uh, bringing you podcasts after each and every one. But we'll go back to Leeds for the moment, Bolland. Um, you went with us all on the podcast on Sunday, so briefly from you, where did you watch the game and what did you think of it? Uh, I watched the game in London, which was very exciting. Um, yeah, it was uh, it was just another typical Newcastle away performance, wasn't it? It was pretty similar to Derby in that we sort of thought they might have something that they could threaten us with, and it just never really materialised, did it? Um, we've used the expression too easy so many times on the podcast this year, and I think it applies again to Leeds, like... Lot of a uh, lot of smoke from them before, really, wasn't it? <laughs> like bigging themselves up. We were in this great, great, great vein of form. Like we've sold out our ground for the first time in fifty years. Um, it's nothing to do with Newcastle, though. And then they just didn't turn up, did they? It was just too easy, too too easy. And uh, your best mate Dwight Gale was was pretty. Funny. I, I think this. I think the smoke yes. Bolland was there. The people fighting and rioting to get tickets to that game. Because uh, everybody in Leeds were <laughs> appear, just appeared at the game that where, where they haven't been there previously. That's why there was so many. That's why you got stuck in that traffic jam because they hadn't been there for so many years. Most of them got <laughs> lost on the way. Yeah, we did get asked several times uh, for directions from Leeds fans to Allen Road. True story. No, it's not obviously. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of Leeds fans and a lot of kind of other football league fans have been screaming two words at us. In the past couple of weeks, uh, lads, which Too are good. payments. Uh, well, also <laughs> parachute payments. And they seem to think that uh, we've built this team based on money that shouldn't be given to clubs who are in such a healthy financial state. I mean, it's a little known fact, but I'm pretty sure I'm no expert. I'm pretty sure you don't actually get parachute payments the first if you go back up first time. So, but but what would do? You, do you think it's just a case, lads, of, of our utter domination of this league? Is it simply a case of we've just spent so much money that would, we should be where we are and that all of these fans are right and that anything less than a 2 win at the likes of Leeds 
um, would be a disgrace? Or do you think actually now we're, we're just we're just a really good club? There's loads of positive stuff going on. There's the manager. There's the players. There's the fans. There's the fact that fans turn up every week. Do you, like where do you lads see it? Ben, I'll come to you first. Um, I mean, an element of it is is yeah, we we are financially superior, but I think we're <laughs> because we're a well-run club, we're we're able to. To, to spend money um, I think we're probably in a better financial position than a lot of Premier League clubs so um, obviously there is an element of that obviously the, um, the state of the club it, it allows us to go out and, and sign the best players um, but at the same time we've we've sold three of our biggest assets in the last season for a huge amount of money which has covered all the payments for the, the, the new players that were brought in so if, even if we weren't that well run <laughs> That money would have still been there available to, to go out and get the players that we've got. Um, and also, I just think we've, we've just bought really well. I, I mean, some of, some of the best signings haven't exactly been the big splashes. Um, I mean, you look at the, someone like Kieran Clark, who for me has been probably the, the, the signing of the division so far in terms of value for money and, and how how good he's looked. Um, I mean, he, he was, what, was he five million, I think, that we paid for him. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's just that, that's a player that anyone could have afforded in the championship so, so it's not as if it's massive money I mean obviously people will be they'll be looking at the likes of Gale for 11 million but I mean there's there's been players sort of been um, been been sort of going for that type of money for a few years I mean you look at Ross McCormack um, the last couple of deals he's had have, have been in excess of that so um, I think it's just a, a, a case of just the obviously the way the game's going now just obviously money's getting a bit silly and teams are having to pay through the roof for players I mean I think there's a lot of championship teams will have spent similar um, amount of money on, on sort of their top players anyway so I, I think it's just a bit of sour grapes I think, I think it's sour point. grapes for a lot of people yeah. I think that's a really good point um, if you want to look at a team who will be utilising parachute payments that's Aston yeah. Villa and also probably Norwich and you know Aston Villa or the example of what you do when you just throw loads of money after loads of players and come up with a rubbish team um, in a rubbish half-empty stadium where no one goes and everyone tells you they're a big club well not even their own fans can be bothered to go and watch them play so how are they a big club uh, whereas Newcastle it's the fact that you know the club have got 37,000 season ticket holders uh, there are 14,000 people buying tickets at kind of 30 quid a head um, every game on top of that which is you know a, a lot of money. You're probably looking at about half a million to a million pound a game in terms of gate receipts, um, and uh, merchandise and food and that. Merchandise is such an American word. Uh, <laughs> clothes at the club shop. Um, Bolland, do you think Burnley got this much uh, grief last year? Do you think Burnley fans were like getting fumed on on Twitter, or is it just because we're such a massive club in this league? It's because we're just such a massive club in this league. I think people are focusing on the wrong thing, really, like, like the money and stuff. Like, yeah, you know, it's an easy one to pick on. But the real reason that we're so much better than everyone else is basically just Rafa Benitez. Like, people like Matt Ritchie, possibly Dwight Gale, Kieran Clark. Like, I don't think if, if Benitez had gone in the summer, I don't think we're getting. We're certainly not getting Matt Ritchie. I don't think Kieran Clark comes. I don't think Dwight Gale does. And we're in a much worse situation. I think people need to just open their eyes and realise that us having probably the best manager in the country uh, is the actual difference, not the money. Even if we hadn't had, <clears throat> say, we hadn't got 30 million or whatever it was for Sissoko and was it 25 for Wijnaldum? Yeah. Even if we'd kept if we'd kept Benitez, he still would have gone and got players cheaper anyway. Like he's the, he's the difference. People. Just I think. The, I mean, it, I suppose yeah. the problem is it comes because I, I think 
because we're so financially sound uh, and well run, that's how we're able to afford someone like Rafael. I mean, obviously, it's not the reason he came, but I, I don't think there's too many championship clubs could could afford a manager like Rafael. But um, obviously, we can. We've got him. Um, and, then, and as you say, I think he he is that is the difference, isn't it? It's not the money that he spent. It's just that it's, it's well been well spent and he's got the club drilled properly he's got every player um maximizing their potential at the minute and and that is the difference um but yeah i mean as you say i mean he's probably on a few mil a year but at the same time the the, the money for the players that's getting spent at the minute it's just crazy it, it sort of pays for itself really doesn't it and i, I totally agree with everything you say there ben um Bolland, ben and then you've just talked about rafa speaking of the great man <laughs> What did you make of his little uh, sightseeing tour around the region on uh, on Tuesday? Ugh, when will this man stop pandering to the fans? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's obviously mint. Like it's great that he's actually taking an interest. Um, like if your cynical take on it is it is a little bit pandering, but that's what we need. We've had years of just idiots like Pardew and Carver and. Well, mainly Pardew, um, <laughs> who didn't do anything to get themselves good publicity, and obviously, people are gonna. Well, people are absolutely buzzing over the fact that they can have a picture of Rafa <laughs> next to the injured or like, and um, it just helps increase that feel-good factor, doesn't it? And then people believe that this man actually cares about our club and you know the people who support the club in the region. So um, it's a great, great PR move by the club and by Rafa himself. What I like about it, and you mentioned that word, their region. I did an interview this week for Magazine, which is uh, Norway's Newcastle fanzine. Um, and they were saying, oh, what's your perception of foreign fans and why Why in England are foreign fans not like... I'm going a long way around. Uh, is, is this you there. just slagging slag <laughs> them yeah. off? You're probably the worst person they could <laughs> no. have interviewed. <laughs> probably the most anti-like, not, <laughs> not supporting the club where you're from, like, person in the world. It's, it's not, a, it's not did, about supporting the club. Did, did you give them both barrels, okay? Well, no, I'll, 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 I'll give them what I'm going to tell you now. Like, essentially, um, it's it, Newcastle as a football club and any football club isn't just the stadium um, and the city centre. It's the region, and you can be from Norway, Sweden, Guyana, <laughs> Brazil. It, it doesn't matter as as long as you you connect with the region, not just the town or the city, the region, and you you have a pride in it and you have a passion for it. I don't care where you're born. I gave the example of. Um, the worst thing that could happen is you get these Man U fans who like fly into London, <laughs> stay in London for the weekend, get a train up to Manchester, go to the match and come back. So like the city, the hotels, the bars, the restaurants, the whole area doesn't get any benefit from that foreign fan. And obviously it pushes ticket prices up a little bit because you've got legalised Towton, which is a disgrace and all the rest of it. But I like the fact that Rafa's gone outside of the city. He's gone to Durham. He's gone to um, Gateshead and other places and this is where a lot of Newcastle fans are from and it's not just about the city of Newcastle none of us live in Newcastle you know you, you live in Liverpool well, I, Bolland I, I live in Newcastle <laughs> I'm just in Liverpool during the week <laughs> well you live in Gosforth but you know I live, I live in Northumberland and Ben you live in North Tyneside but they're all Newcastle areas this is the club this is the people and I just think it was great that they got outside of the city centre for a minute um, although there was, were some cracking photos at the keep um <laughs> And, and kind of you know explore it's, the region. It's, it's nice it's to just, share the wealth, like isn't said, it? It is, it is, and like you said, Roland, it's, uh, it's very good PR by the club. We're not silly; it, it, that's what it is. But you know what? If I, if I and the lads ever want to, uh, you know, get out and see a bit of Northumberland, I'll happily drive them. 
Um, uh, I've also got some um, uh, kind of stats for you on how well Newcastle are doing. So Rafa, well-deserved day off, even though there was a club photographer there <laughs> taking photos of it. Um, but it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of, you know, when me and the other True Faith lads met Rafa, I've probably not mentioned it before, actually. Um, when we met Rafa, uh, was it Mickey, I think, was like, why is he meeting you? We've got a match tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw on the, if you look at the the club's tweet, there's like people like, what's he doing? He should be preparing for Blackburn. <laughs> like, how am I? <laughs> like, and uh, A, he probably, well, he will have prepared for Blackburn. And B, here's why he doesn't need to prepare for Blackburn. Um, basically, no club that has ever had more than 37 points after 14, uh, 17 games of the championship has failed to be promoted. We've got 41 so there's, we're just. I know no one wants to be complacent, but we're get we're going up. We've got too many points not to, um, and only I think three more teams have been nine points or clear than third place, or more than nine points clear of third place since two thousand and four five, which was the the year uh, uh, the first year of the championship, and there were Sheffield United, uh, Reading maybe, and Fulham. I put them in my match preview on True Faith and. All of those clubs went up automatically, so we've got so many points so far that it's just absolutely 100% going to happen. We're going up, um, which I'm kind of assuming you lads know anyway. So lads, turn into the week ahead. Ben, it's a, it's a big week. You will beat all the games with me. Um, how, how, should Rafa, how should Rafa approach the week, Ben, in terms of team selection? Who does he rest? When does he rest? Anybody at all? Uh, how would you how would you approach it if you were him? Uh, it's an interesting one. I mean, I've, obviously he's he's been um, an advocate of the rotation system, and I think he's he's used. Um, we, we've said a number of times that he's used the international breaks to to sort of use the squad players. Um, although I mean, I call them squad players. They've, they've played probably as many games as as the so-called first team, but it's, it, he's he's used uh, he's used the full squad. Um, as as much as he could at every opportunity, and I think that the cup games, especially, um, like you you pointed out the other day to me, the uh, about the keepers ways, he's played the the second choice keeper every every round, um, and I think it's it's I could see him um, potentially sort of honouring. Just I think it's it we've been saying all along it's sort of warding against complacency and knowing that that the players know where they stand in terms of the they've always got to be playing their best, and even if they are playing their best. There's, there's always going to be someone there that, that can come in and, and take the place. Um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he picked the same team that beat uh, Leeds, but um, I think he's he's probably going to uh, have a mind on on the whole game, knowing that it it, it is another step up really. Um, obviously, it's a Premier League club. It's it's a, a quarter final with a chance to to get through a real really good chance to get through to a, a semi final, and and who knows what happens after that. So. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, especially with with Blackburn sort of being uh, sort of one of the weaker teams in the division. If it, if he did sort of ring ring the changes a bit and, and rested a few of the first team players with a view to playing them against Hull, um, I, I'm I'm saying that in the likes of I, I could see Mitro starting ahead of Gale uh, this weekend. Um, I think I mean Shelby obviously that one's a bit up in up in the air with regards to the the potential ban, but um, I, th- I think you could maybe see him him uh, sort of rested. And uh, I just think he's he's been utilising and, and sort of challenging the players every, every game that when they get an opportunity they've got in and uh, got to come in and perform and I think that's that's 
been so healthy that you, you can see it doesn't matter who who he picks that the players coming in have, have all equipped have equipped themselves well and and it's man it's allowed to go on the run that we have um it'd be interesting no i don't know if you know the stats there but how many players he's used in this this run that we've we've gone uh, nine wins on the trot or whatever or seven whatever however many on the trot it is but um it's just just you, you just look at, at i'm so confident with the, the players that we've got available um, I don't think it's it, it'll matter too much really which which way he goes about it. So Bolland on that Ben thinks he's going to possibly rest players looking ahead to Hull and Hull will be what you consider the, the first team. Do you think he'll do that or do you think he'll say right no um, I'll stick to what I did in the previous rounds Blackburn and Forest are our bread and butter let's get six points there two teams in the bottom six of the league uh, let's go and get six points and then he'll maybe bring in your Diome your Hanley um, your Atsu and the like uh, your, your, your Hayden for for Hull do you see it going like that or do you think it could just be a mixture of like who knows what he's uh, going to pick so I disagree with Ben slightly I don't think there's any chance of him dropping John Joe Shelby Hello, for any of the games I fully expect he'll play all of them purely because ben, you there, yeah. else you can come in and do what <laughs> he but does Bolland's gone. Um, as he just said Black I think we'll possibly lost him now bread and butter um, we've lost Wallens, okay. Oh, no. That's well, not a problem. We'll try and get him back. He's still in the call, but he's just obviously not answering. I think we'll see a little bit of rotation. But okay. The, so, Ben, I kind of give you my two. <laughs> give you my opinion until we're trying to get Bolland back. Um, you know, essentially, I, I think. Oh, is that is that him back? There's something just happened there on Skype. I think he looks like he's gone. No. Oh, rest <laughs> in peace, Bolland. <laughs> <laughs> it was great, well, as you. Um, we're going to try and get him back um, so yeah what I would do is um, well what I think will happen doesn't matter what I would do to Ireland what I think will happen um, I can see him playing the same team tomorrow and then I can see him playing picking a rotated team but with the likes of Richie Shelby um, the back four and maybe a couple of changes I think I think you might see Mitrovic so, against so rotated you're basically see. saying two players might come in Mitrovic, Diarme, um, I think it's Yatsu, but I don't, I don't by any means think it'd be a weakened team. Well, it wouldn't be a weakened team. He hasn't played a weakened team once this season. We don't have a weakened team. Um, but it's it's a real tough one because my next question to you would be, which of it's such a silly question, but which of these games do you think is the most important? Would you drop league points to get through in the cup or not? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is it is a difficult one because obviously the... The, the reason we're in the position we're in is because we've we've not taken the league lightly and we've we've obviously um gone gone to sort of maximize everything that will come from that and that's allowed us to go on this run but i just think um getting into the last stage of the cup um it, it's getting to sort of it's high stakes now i think had we have lost in one of the previous rounds i don't think too many people would have been too fussed um I mean, obviously the opposition we played against, I think we would have been disappointed, but I don't think everyone was seeing that as as a necessarily a priority for this season. But um, obviously getting into the last stages now it's, and, and given that it's Hull, it's a massive opportunity. Obviously, it, it is a step up in, in some ways. Um, but then again, you look at the Hull side, they're, they're, <laughs> they've got about 13 players. It's, uh, can I make a yeah. point about Hull? They finished sixth yeah. in the championship. They I haven't know. signed anyone well, apart from Ryan Mason, and they lost. They, they lost the best player to us in my team. <laughs> I well, I was just about that. My point was just going to be: it's probably not as big a challenge as say the the Norwich or the 
the Brett Brighton games that we've played this season already. Um, so it's it's you two ways about it, but I just think the it's a way. Obviously, um, it's it's a massive opportunity, and I just I, I hope he he does sort of go with the the best team there, just so the fact that we've we've, we've got the best chance to get through because it, it could could be massive uh, for the club and I, I still think I'm, I'm confident as you say we're playing two teams in the bottom six that will have enough in in the rest of the squad um, to, to beat them and as, as you say we, we don't really have a weekend team so I'm not really too concerned who he plays because I'm I'm fully confident that wh- whoever gets the starts um, in any of the games will be able to, to, to get the results um, so I mean, it, as I guess my point is, it doesn't really matter what he does. I'm I'm pretty confident that we'll probably win all three. I don't think Gale will play, but yeah, I, I think it'll be a comfortable game. It'll be, it's it's one of those that I, I think um, some of the games we've played this season, like obviously Ipswich being the one that springs to mind most um, recently. Just uh, it's it's teams that haven't really got any any sort of quality to come in and struggle against to make make uh, sort of cause us any issues. Um, and I just think it'll just be a really, really comfortable game that we'll control, and it's just a case um, of whether our players are, can, can be bothered really to, Dan, to put Danny them in Graham, sword. No, David does long you, you gone. Saw no, against, Danny Graham. You saw Chuba <laughs> <laughs> Um, in, he probably he he probably would still get a game for them to be fair, but um, no, just just the Leeds game. I mean that that <laughs> it did feel like the second half. That like, it was just a case well, of well, we could smash his five, but we'll like, we'll let you off. We don't. We don't want to embarrass you in front of all your fans that have nah. turned up. <laughs> well, just quickly on Blackburn because we're going to have some Blackburn phones, uh, fans, <laughs> phones, join us very, very, uh, very shortly. Um, Blackburn, apart from the opening away game, which was three 0 defeat at Wigan, have only lost um, by a single goal away from home since then. So that <laughs> no, they haven't. <laughs> um, I think that just about does it from you lads for today. Uh, is there anything else you think we've missed? Or you just want to say? No? Well, we will be back with you um, very shortly after this break uh, with the opposition fan part of the show. Thanks. Welcome back. Uh, we're joined very fortunately on the line by Michael Doherty, who is um, a Blackburn Rovers fan and also an executive board member um, at the Blackburn Rovers Trust. So, Michael, welcome and thank you for taking the time to join us. Do you want to start off by introducing yourself and your links to, to the club and, and also the position you hold with the Trust? Sure, yeah. Uh, thanks uh, for the invitation to come and speak on the podcast. Um, I'm, a, I'm a, obviously a, a long-standing Rovers fan um, since, since childhood and... Uh, just uh, earlier this year, I was invited to join the uh, the board of the Blackburn Rovers Supporters Trust. Um, the trust, actually, by coincidence, it's our, it's our fourth uh, birthday today, 
so we were formed in, in um, 2012. And um, we are kind of a standard supporters trust that follows the, the model that was kind of set out by um, Supporters Direct. Um, so um, we have a certain structure, uh, we have a, a, a board um, that um, has an annual general meeting, we're appointed, etc. And we have a particular aim, which is to work towards fan or community ownership of the club. And if that's not possible, then fan or community um, involvement in the running of the club. So that's, uh, so that's who, who we are. Great. I mean, yeah, we, I'm, I'm part of the Newcastle United Supporters Trust and our aim mm. is, is very similar. However, we're, we're fortunate and the Trust are fortunate that the, the club um, have made uh, moves of reconcilia- reconciliation towards us as a, as a trust in the past, mm-hmm. well, in, in very recently, because things are going well. I take it things haven't been as straightforward for you guys. No, um, and it's interesting. I was at the uh, Supporters Summit at uh, Wembley this summer and I met uh, Norman. Oh yeah, the Newcastle Supporters Trust, and we were we were having a, a conversation, and I've, I've picked it up recently when I've been speaking to um, my opposite numbers of other supporters trusts at Charlton and Blackpool and Coventry, um, and just recently uh, Orient seem to have seem to have joined our our um, uh, little band of the damned, and uh, we were talking about the impact of success on. The supporters trust movement and uh what and i'm sure that norman won't won't mind me saying this he was, he was saying that the the success of the club and in particular the appointment of rafa has made an impact on on how ready people are to join the kind of protest or oppositional uh groups like uh like the uh, supporters trusts would would that be fair yeah, I think it once um, once the club is being run in a way fans are satisfied. The the obvious question that a supporters trust gets hit with is what is yeah. the point? What's the point? And um, yeah. it, it's also a good chance for us as supporters trust, and we're, we're going to try and make a message that we're not necessarily here to be at loggerheads with the club. We're here to be a, almost like a moral compass a little bit and make yeah. sure that the club... Because, I mean, it'll be the same with Blackburn. There'll be numerous decisions made where you almost just wish that someone would have just, just got in touch with someone who was more connected to the fan base and thought, can we just run this by you? Not asking permission. Just just literally yeah. friendly, free advice um, from a supporters yeah. trust or, or, or people who don't have commercial interests at heart or don't have... Make a money a heart and think. Actually, we are as we are a, a, a pretty good resource to the club to be, you know, there to provide support and also criticism, because you know what yeah. what what business doesn't run without um, members of a board criticizing decisions. It's almost like football and sport is a little bit unique, where you have kind of all empowering and powerful people at the top who don't like being criticized. Well, when in fact, in in, in a normal business. Um, relationship in the boardroom. There's all sorts, all sorts of um, constructive criticism goes on. So definitely, success has has made the supporters trust at Newcastle realise that we've got to, to rebrand our message. Our, our message hasn't changed, but we've got to put out a li- maybe put out a bit more positively. But there's still absolutely a role for the supporters trusts who who you know we're not looking to you know get rid of Mike Ashley or say this or say that. But long term, and w- w- this is the thing about fans. 
we are long term. It's you know me and, and you, Michael, will, will probably outlast the owners of our football clubs in terms of the association with the football clubs. If it can't be found ownership now in 2016, five, ten, fifteen, twenty years down the line, it's something that supporters trust up and down the country are willing to wait for. Absolutely, absolutely. I think I think that's great, and it, it, it pulls out it pulls out a couple of things that have been real real issues for us um, as uh, as a trust. One is is, is the, the local issue with us at, um, at Blackburn, which is that as a supporters trust, we didn't come out straight away in 2010 and say that Venkis weren't the right owners for us and that we wanted a change of ownership. And we we. We hung fire for quite a long time, actually, for about five years. And during that time, we were, we were seeking a constructive engagement with the owners to have the kind of have the kind of dialogue with them that, that you just outlined, um, and to have you know to be to be a, 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 a critical friend almost um, yeah. to them. Um, but we just got nothing back. We got absolutely nothing back. Um, we didn't get um, a response to uh, any of any of our uh, letters or emails or phone calls. Um, um, th- th- there's a difference between the local people who are running the club in Blackburn and the owners in in, in India. So the, the the local people in Blackburn have had meetings and so on and so forth. But the problem is they don't have any power, and they don't even have a direct line to the, dis- the decisions about the future of the club which are being made by uh, Venkis and the Rao family in, in India. Um, and all our attempts to engage with the owners have just been completely shunned. And that was one factor. The performance of the club was a further factor. And that led us to ask our members in some of this year about whether we should change our stance to one where we took in a more campaigning role. And we openly called on the owners to put the club on the market. Because we just because the club wasn't going anywhere, um, and we got 97 uh, percent um, approval for that change of stance. Um, so, so since then, I suppose our big thing is we've been working with other supporters groups, um, such as the Blackburn Rovers Action Group, who've been much more the sort of direct protest group. Um, Ewood Blues, who were the the real hard, hardcore supporters, a group of fans who've been to every home and away game for for decades. And we've been working with them on a, on a more coordinated approach just to try to pressurise the owners um, and to make it less comfortable then for them to, to, to own a club that they are um, neglecting. Yeah, and that's maybe you can give us a little bit of of the history in, around that neglect because it's it's a from the outside looking in, it was a strange... Yeah. It was a, it, you can almost look back and... Blackburn is, is probably the media narrative that the media want Newcastle to be because Mike Ashley's decision at Newcastle to get rid of Sam Allardyce was absolutely, ask any Newcastle fan, it was the right thing to do. Sam Allardyce mm-hmm. is, 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 a, is a good manager, he's got his flaws, but it, mm. it, it was not a good fit. It, he, he was losing matches, we were losing games heavily, we were sliding towards the relegation zone. Um, mm. And then we, we weren't actually relegated that season, it was the next season and Dennis Wise and Kevin Keegan, and you know that's a whole different story. But you you, yeah. can, you you can almost look at the removal of Sam Allardyce as Blackburn manager to when to when the club's uh, problems started under the Venkies. Well, it's kind of interesting. I was I've been sort of looking back, and again, um, looking back ten years ago today, I was looking at reading a blog post from 
um, from Oz Jones, who's one of my, my fellow members of the board at Elvis Trust, and he was describing 10 years ago this week um, his trip to Feyenoord, um, where we'd, we'd, uh, we'd won our group in the UEFA Cup. We were, we've had a few seasons in Europe since the mid-90s. Most of them have been a disaster. This, so this is one of the few times when we're actually playing in Europe after, after Christmas. Um, but then fast forward to um, 2010, and we had Sam Allardyce as the manager, um, and we finished in, in the top half of the Premiership for two seasons. Uh, we were, and we were 12th, and again, it's almost to it's almost to the week six years ago. Vankies took over the club. And I have to say, at that time, um, I, I I really admired um, Sam Allardyce's results. I didn't enjoy watching his teams. I didn't really enjoy watching the way he'd set up Rovers. And if if Venkis had come in and got rid of Sam Allardyce because of the style of football that he was playing, and he wanted to replace him with um, another experienced, competent manager, then that would have been perfectly fine with an awful lot of Rovers fans. But that's not what happened. What happened was that there was it was a placeman of the agents who were advising them who was brought in to advise them to get rid of Allardyce and bring in someone who was their man. And it was an awful lot of the damage that's been done to the club was done in those first two two and a half years. When the infrastructure of, of a well run club that'd been built up for fifteen plus years was systematically dismantled. So it wasn't just the management team or the playing squad, it was the whole executive side of, of the uh, of, of the of the club. And that's that's kind of really what's what sticks in the throat. Um, that if there had been a plan to <coughs> to undermine and hollow out um, the essentials of a well run club, it couldn't have been much more effective than what actually happened during those two or three years. Yeah, well that's pretty devastating to hear that and I mean, what what's got? Do you want to tell us a little bit what's going on at the moment? You talked about that you, uh, the trust were in dialogue, constant dialogue with other supporters groups. You know, someone like mm-hmm. myself, and I, I've written this. I, I write the the match preview as well for True Faith as well, doing the as doing the podcast. And I was having a, a look back down memory lane, and Blackburn was always a special away game for Newcastle fans because yeah. um, cheap cheap tickets, big allocation. Comparatively, mm-hmm. for us, three to three and a half hours is a pretty good drive. Um, for an yeah, away game, sure, yeah. um, and it's, yeah. it's, it's it was my first away game. In fact, it was my first three away games, and it was kind of that everyone wow. everyone looked forward to Blackburn away. You were you always mm. beat us. We had a terrible record at Blackburn down the years. I think you you won six in a row at one stage against Newcastle. And right. and, and and the one thing you could guarantee is, I mean, sometimes you went in, it was a full house. Sometimes you went in, mm. it was about the twenty four twenty two thousand mark. I'm looking at attendances now at Blackburn, hovering around the ten thousand mark. Is is that is that um, an organised protest, or is it even worse than that? Is it just local apathy towards the club and the well, not the club, but the owners? It's um, it's a mixture. Um, it's a mixture of um, fans sort of drifting away from the club and people who are um, refusing or, or refusing to go along. I mean, with the on the board of the Rovers Trust, we have what, seven eight members now, and about half of us are boycotting and half of us aren't. When, when when we've got together with the other supporters, trust we've, we've discussed about this issue of, of, of the boycott and whether 
to make it a much more formal thing um, like the Blackpool supporters just have. And we've decided not to do that because people have very, very different views on it. And there's enough potential for supporters to split and start turning on each other without without going down that road too uh, quickly. Um, So an awful lot of people are taking up kind of a principal boycott. Um, but lots of people who are who are deeply unhappy with the situation, and who are involved in other sorts of protests, but which we've started over the last uh, over the last month or so, um, are still going to the game because it's what they want to do, yeah. and it's what they it's what they've done for decades, and they want to take their kids every fortnight to go on Ewood Park um, and and watch a game of football, which ultimately is what it's all about, and and even those of us who are involved in these organisations. It's not what we really want to be doing. We just want to be going along and enjoying the football rather than spending our time writing to MPs and uh, setting up campaigns to take over to India and this, that and the other. Yeah. It's, um, it's not something we do by choice. It's something we do kind of out of conscience, really. And where do you see, in, where do you see things going, honestly? I mean, the, the club battling relegation this season. I did a bit of reading before this podcast which suggested this is... Rovers last year of parachute payments um, from the Premier League. Um, last year was our last, last, last year, year was parachute it? payments. So they've, they've, they've gone now, yeah. So, I mean, how, has the club hit rock bottom under the Vengis, or do you think that unless something drastically changes very soon, there's there's further to fall? Um, yeah, this is, where, this is where what's been, I'm sure, quite a, a depressing little contribution to the podcast gets even worse, because... Um, because the club is now, according to the books, 104 million pounds in debt. Bloody hell! And it was it was 20 million pounds in debt six years ago when Venkis took over. Um, and the we've we've been working, and other groups have been working to try to persuade the owners to think about think about an escape plan, really, from from the club. But the latest we've heard was um, that they very rarely have any sort of communication but the latest word was an official statement read out at the structured dialogue meeting about a month ago where they said the club's not up for sale they're still committed to the success of the club etc etc so um, there doesn't seem to be any prospect immediate prospect of them walking away from the club you hear all sorts of whispers behind the scenes that they may be willing to sell to some other foreign buyer um, but they're just they really are they really are whispers um, and the question that a lot of people a lot of Rovers fans are asking now is well who would come in and buy the club and take on that amount there if you think about how much Aston Villa was sold for over the summer which I think was I think off the top of my head was between 30 and 40 million yep. for, 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 for Aston Villa who's going to come in and take on 104 million pounds of debt to buy black Rovers doesn't seem feasible really um, so um, there are people in the UK who are willing to come in who are, who are Rovers fans and have got access to um, high net worth individuals as they're called now who are willing to put a group of people together um, and come in and start having a dialogue with Venkis about taking some of the ownership of the club um, about putting in a, a, an experienced team an experienced um, executive team to work with them. Um, 
and some of those approaches have been made, but they've been completely shunned uh, to the extent that, again, what only the second official communication from Venkis in the past 18 months or so was to deny that these <laughs> approaches had even been made. Um, so we're, we're continuing to work away. We're working away uh, with other supporters groups. We're looking, you know, we've, we've, we're looking at meetings with the Football League um, that have happened. We're looking at meetings with the FA. Um, there's a couple of us who are heading down for a meeting at the uh, Sports Ministry next month, um, the Department for Culture, Media and Sport. Um, it's just, uh, it's just extremely difficult. We, we keep, we keep on going, but it's in, um, it's with, it's with hope really, rather than any clear picture of how the situation at Rovers is going to be turned around. Well, it's yeah, it's been a, it's been a real eye opener, and we're you know I think everybody in the football world, not not just Blackburn, but you uh, you mentioned Blackpool, Charlton, and a few other clubs out there, and, and it makes you think that these guys, the the people that own the club, when they, they see the likes of yourselves and these other supporters trusts um, putting such time and effort because like you say you don't want to be doing this travelling down to London from Blackburn it's not a short journey um, to, tr- to try and all, all you want to do is see the club well run and ha- have a, a sustainable future for for your yeah. generation and the generations to follow um, it's kind yeah. of an eye opener and it, it reminds us as Newcastle fans a little bit of worse times as well though fortunately things have never for us things have never got that bad but I mean, we can't we can't give you any any direct hope. But one one thing that come out which isn't really talked about, and, and the media didn't pick up on this, Newcastle fans in the Mike Ashley out campaign organised a boycott on live television against Spurs in two thousand fourteen. Um, mm-hmm. Less than realistically less than uh, twenty thousand people turned up to the game. The club put the attendance at forty eight thousand, which is obviously tickets sold. Um, yeah. Before that game, Mike Ashley Newcastle set set a Premier League record. Of not spending money on a player in two and a half years, um, mm. four transfer windows, and after that, um, I think we spent well, we spent a lot of money. We still got relegated, but at least, at least it was a little bit of you know f- direct yeah. fan action, twisting the arm of the owner. Um, but where you guys go, I'm sure you know much better than me. We just wish, wish you the best of luck, and um, thanks for coming on the show. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Just, uh, just, just uh, a couple of points. I think it's important to to say that um, we. There's no kind of expectation about this. We're, we're, we're third bottom of the, of the championship and we don't think we've got a divine right not, not to be there. And we know that clubs that aren't, that are run well do better. Clubs that aren't run, run well do, do worse. So that's, but we want to differentiate that from, from what's happened at clubs like ours in Blackpool and Charleston, which is, which is, is, is negligence. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so that's 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 something that we want to point out. And the, and the second thing is, uh, I just want to say um, that with Rafa, I think you've got an absolutely fantastic manager. And it isn't just in relation to what he's doing on the pitch. I know speaking to Norman in the summer, it's also some of the things behind the scenes about having a connection with the fans and um, having the training ground a bit more open than it has been in in the, the past and so forth. And that's something that, if it, if that had happened at Blackburn and Blackpool and Charlton, would have made some of the results a little bit easier to handle than they have been. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a very fair point. 
Um, yeah. So okay. thank you for your time, Michael, and uh, we'll, best we'll of luck. We look forward to the game this weekend. Okay. Cheers. Thank you. So a very welcome, uh, fortunate even to welcome Jim onto the show, who is a, a Blackburn Rovers fan. Thanks for joining us, Jim. And I suppose I can start with the the question. I start with all away fans um, or fans with opposition teams. How has the season gone so far? Well, I think a look at the table, Alex tells you that uh, it's been pretty disastrous. Um, not quite as disastrous as Rotherham has been. <laughs> They're uh, kind of keeping us uh, off the bottom. But really, it's been as everybody expected and feared, really, after the sale of uh, so many players and, and the owners um, effectively losing interest. I think uh, the feeling was that uh, we've got away with it for a season or two, selling players and, and sort of downgrading the quality of the team. And uh, with the appointment of Owen Coyle, there was very little enthusiasm for that. I can, I can guarantee you here in Blackburn. Uh, in fact, there was a, a great deal of downright hostility towards it. And he hasn't really done anything to win the fans over. Um and really, it's it's gone as expected. It's been very, very poor. The first three games were absolutely abysmal. There has been a sort of a slight improvement since that, in that we've picked up points, I think, every home game, bar one for the last six or seven home games. But the away form has been pretty poor. Uh, we have, we, we've managed one win on, on the road at Derby. And uh, very little else, scored very few. We've kept one clean sheet all season. So it really has been a struggle. And uh, you look for chinks of light and uh, you look to be optimistic. But there, there aren't too many uh, to be seen, I'm afraid. And do you, I mean, do you think that Coyle is, is underperforming with the squad he has at his disposal? Or does it go hand in hand if you've got a, a poor manager and a poor squad? Well, his record since, uh, I mean, he took Burnley, Burnley up our great, great rivals. I mean, he did, you know, obviously, you can't take that achievement away from him. But if you look at his record since that time, he, 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 uh, he quit Burnley when they were sort of on the slide down the premiership table after a decent start. He went to Bolton, uh, came out with the, uh, immortal quote, which Burnley fans still remember that uh, Bolton were 10 years ahead of Burnley in development at that stage. Well, if you look at the, uh, the Football League and Premier League tables now, you'll see how, how silly that looks in retrospect. He didn't do much of a job at Bolton, then went to Wigan and uh, didn't last very long there, fell out, fell out with Dave Whelan, uh, finished up in America and... Uh, did very, very poorly there. I mean, I, I don't profess to know much about the standard of uh, US football, but Houston were uh, as, as near as the bottom as, as you can get, as far, as far as I know. And uh, it really hasn't inspired any confidence. I mean, the one thing I will say in his defence is he's had uh, no money whatsoever to spend. I think we signed 13 players during the... Uh, the transfer window after after Coyle came in, and only one of them was uh, was bought for a fee. That's Derek Williams, the left back, who cost uh, two hundred and fifty thousand from Bristol City. So uh, he hasn't had 
any sort of finance to uh, to, to spend them to build a team. <coughs> um, in truth, the signings he has made have looked average at best, and in some cases quite pointless. We took a lad on loan from West Ham called uh, Martin Samuelson, a young Norwegian international. He's actually gone back to West Ham this, this week. He, he came and said, oh, you know, this lad's a really promising young player. And he's never played. And it, it's just mystifying, really, that you, when you're in our position, that you, you're stacking the squad up with bodies like that who are just, you know, n- never going to be used. The, the, the lad looked lightweight in fairness, what little bit we saw of him. But it, it just sort of typifies the way the, the club's operating, that, that we get involved in that. That sort of a deal. It's you know, silly really to be taking players from Premiership clubs and then not not playing them. I mean, he's either he's either got to stick him in and uh, give him a game and see what he's made of, or or else not bother in the first place. It seems very sort of muddled thinking and uh, very very confused approach to it. Right, yeah, not, not the best then. Um, yeah. In terms of, I was looking through uh, your fixtures, and like you say, you had a disastrous start of the season and I remember from just watching the news Coil was basically under pressure from that very first couple of games the defeat to Norwich and then the defeat to uh, Wigan away from home since that away defeat to Wigan you've not lost a game away from home by more than one goal do you think that's is, is that, is that um, representative of the way he sets up the team do you go away from home and just look to keep it tight or is there really nothing to look into that? Because that's one thing I've kind of noticed that well, at least you're not getting hammered every week. You seem to be competing in away games. Well, the one one department of the team that he that he has uh, not done too badly in, in putting together has been the defence. I mean, you, you you you're more than uh, aware that we lost uh, two centre backs that were highly valued in the summer. Grant Hanley signed for yourselves for, for four and a half million and five million or whatever and then Shane Duffy went to Brighton they weren't everybody's cup of tea but they did alright last season the pair of them and um, you know when you replace nine million ten million worth of players with three transfers and, mm. and loans then you, you know it's going to struggle but we, we, we got a, a lad in from Watford called Tommy Hoban who was doing alright he's broke his shoulder uh, Williams, the left back, who I said was the the only fee, he's been in and out with injury. He just came back last week. He's looked very good in fairness. Uh, we currently have uh, a young midfield player, Darrell Lennyhan, uh played at centre half, and in in all fairness, doing quite well. Uh, right back is sort of alternated between Jason Law who's a midfield player, and Ben Marshall, who, you know, I, I think he's really a midfield player or a winger, so it's been all kinds of odds and sods, but by hook or by cup, the defence has um, improved to some degree. As you say, we haven't been getting, getting hammered, but the problem we do have, I think, is lasting the course in games. I don't know whether, uh, you know, you hear sort of rumours, uh, I mean, nobody knows about these things unless you're on the training ground and, and stood there watching what's going on you don't know but there, there are rumours that the trading isn't all that it might be and it does seem to be a problem uh, home and away with uh, sort of stamina and, and, and lasting games we've tended to concede late goals uh, we haven't scored very many late goals in fact I can't re- I cannot, yeah I can recall one late goal all season uh, 
but after sort of 60, 70 minutes, we, we, we often look to be a spent force, particularly in midfield, uh, where another uh, player with links with himself, Danny Guthrie, yeah. um, he's been on the books about just over 12 months now, but he, he, he's one of these players, he just never seems to be fully fit. He's always either having a little run in the team or else an injury, and then he's out again. I think he's out this weekend. I don't think there's any chance of him playing. Uh, Corey Evans is a little bit similar. He's a decent, decent midfield player, championship midfielder, but uh, he, he tends to go off every every other game, 69, 70 minutes, um, and then an, an injury will come along. And we just don't seem to have the robust kind of uh, guys in the engine room that you need week in, week out. We, we, we end up playing Hope Akpan, who's um, very, very limited in that area. You know, and, and when you sit and look at the, the riches that Newcastle have and the you know, players that they were able to retain coming down from the Premiership and the players that they've invested in, and see what we... What kind of uh, market we're shopping in these days after uh, three or four years in the in the championship? It's it all points to you know we're looking. would have to be Newcastle having an off day and Rovers having a very good day for us to get anything at all from that fixture. Yeah, I mean the the I, I also write um, the match previews for True Faith and I, I kind of. The best I can see for Blackburn this weekend is that we've won our last nine in all competitions and eight in the league. It it's got to end sometime. <laughs> like we're not just well, going to continue I, I, to win every I made game. Exactly that point. I made exactly that point today to somebody. I said that uh, you know the longer a side goes on a, on an unbeaten run or a winning run, uh, the the nearer it is to to, to that run ending. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, whether whether it be Saturday or not, I, I don't know. But you, you know, you never know, do you? Somebody, something might happen. Newcastle might have a guy sent off in the first ten minutes, and everything changes. But uh, if you were a betting man or, or making a sensible prediction, I think your money would be on uh, a comfortable uh, Newcastle win. New, Newcastle have been winning many games uh, at, at a counter, and the. We've got players that we know all about. You know, even Dwight Gale, he scored a hat trick for the Peterborough um, against Blackburn at Ewood in our first season down um, when we came down in 2012. 2012 13, Peterborough came to Ewood. We, we'd been to Peterborough early in the season in Edinburgh's first game and beat them 4-1. It was a bit of a false goal. <laughs> and by the time that uh, Peterborough came to Ewood, they, uh, I'm pretty sure, I think he had a hat-trick to his name, Dwight Gale, after about 25 minutes. They were they were 3-0 up in no time, and uh, people were walking out. And, and uh, I remember the, the little girl, who's now 12, was, was about 8 at the time, and she was, she was after going home at 20 <laughs> past 3, so... We know all about Dwight Gale at Ewood Park, I can tell you that. Yeah, and I suppose it's 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 going to be a, a tough season for Blackburn and the, the games against Newcastle and the like aren't really what's going to define your season, although any, any kind of positive results are good results. Do you, I mean, I'm look, I've am i looked at the, the table and Burton Albion, after a good start, seem to be on the fall massively. Um, you seem to be doing all right at home, particularly. Can, can, you, see, can you see Blackburn staying up this season? 
rule it out, uh, Alex. I mean, I've, uh, there's a lot of doom and gloom about the place. People are saying, oh, relegation's inevitable, the, the way that the, uh, the club's been on a downward spiral for so long. But uh, as you say, we, Burton, Wigan, Cardiff, uh, they're not all going to uh, um, win, win week in, week out. And if we can keep close enough to them, Saturday just last gone against Brentford was very, very... Uh, important we, we, we won 3-2 against Brentford and it really was a case of if we'd lost that and, and we're looking at probably losing on Saturday in all probability we could have then been sort of a good six or seven points adrift of uh, any any kind of safety mark but uh, I mean we might still be five points adrift of safety on Saturday night but we're, we're not completely out of touch and it, the key is as, as you say I think this is something that we, we learned in the Premier League when Sam Allardyce was managed. I know Sam Allardyce wasn't the most popular guy at Newcastle, but he did, did very, very well at Bolton and Blackburn. And one of the things that Allardyce understood was that you, you have got to win your home games against the other mediocre or lesser teams. We, we lost very few home games under Allardyce. And we could still this season, if we if we sort our home form out, there are enough teams that aren't sort of in the uh, the Newcastle, Villa, the Norwich, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, you know, fairly high spending echelons that we we, we could uh, if we got our act together get ourselves safe. But who knows? Who knows who will be staying or going in the uh, in the January window, or whether Coyle will get any money. The one thing. Uh, um, that you can say about Venkis is uh, they've often left the spending to, to the very last minute. The, every transfer deadline, we seem to leave the uh, the spending till the very last minute. I mean, it was a very it was a very minimal amount in, in August just gone, as I say, two hundred and fifty grand. But they do sometimes get their hands in the pockets when it when it's looking very much like they have to. Um, so who knows? We, you know, we might have a bit to spend in January. We might not. It might be more wheeling and dealing. Whether whether Coyle will be here or whether they'll call time on him if uh, if we lose a few more games, I don't know. But I haven't given. I certainly haven't given up all hope that we could stay up. And I think it's very very important too that we stay up. I think uh, if we are looking at getting rid of the owners and looking for new people to come in and express interest. It's a lot easier or, or a lot uh, more attractive to sell or to uh, to attract people to invest in a championship club than it is for a League One club, I'm sure. Definitely, and uh, we've we've heard all about all about the problems you've got with the owners, which um, it's it's awful to to hear. And like you say, even even if you do stay up, it sounds very much from the the outside looking in. Well, is it going to be more of the same next season? In the season after that, in those clubs that tend to be battling relegation every single year, it only ends one way normally. Um, well, that's it. That, that, that's what people are, uh, are quite rightly saying is that the uh, it's been an inexorable uh, sort of downward descent since uh, since Venkis took over and we got rid of Sam Allardyce and we we got rid of a very good chairman and, and a very good chief executive after that. And we we more or less don't have a board uh, of directors at the moment, but uh, and, and that sort of thing inevitably, uh, you know, where, where there's no leadership and no guidance, 
players aren't going to come and sign for a club like that. Uh, and it, if they get the chance to uh, to leave a club like that for a club that's better run and organised, they will do. You know, and I can't blame them. They talk, talk about Ben Marshall being the next one to go, and if he does, uh, good luck to him. I can't, I can't really blame him. You know, if, if you were a player at Blackburn, you you would no doubt be going into work every day saying. What the heck's going on here? You know what, what? What am I doing here? Who's in charge? So uh, there's no sort of uh, animosity or resentment from me about anybody who does want to bail out. But as ever, it's the fans left holding the baby. Yeah, well, <laughs> I really hope that you do stay up and things get better. I, I was just saying earlier on the podcast that Blackburn away is kind of a special game for Newcastle fans. The fact we always get a big allocation and it's cheap close it's a good it's good proper away ground it is it's not it's not yeah you know the almost flat pack new stadiums in, a, in an industrial park 10 miles out of town so it's always been a popular one for Newcastle fans and this season um it'll have been the first fixture a lot of Newcastle fans looked for uh on the fixture list Blackburn away which is January the 2nd so I'm sure everyone will be looking forward to that um we'll, we'll hope it gets sorted out and <laughs> As I said, the, the the two well, you've got two things in your favour. Number one, we've got to lose sometime or drop points. And number two, Blackburn have been Newcastle's bogey side for a long, long time. <laughs> I think we went eleven games without a win. Um, you know, two thousand and four to two thousand and eleven against you, which included six wins in a row for Blackburn. Um, both at your place and at ours. Uh, Mark Hughes pulled off a couple of notable victories, and so did Sam Allardyce against Newcastle at St James's. But. Uh, Best of luck, and um, thanks for coming on the show, Jim. I really appreciate it. Very thanks, Alex. Thanks very much for listening. Uh, we tried a new uh, sound system when it was me, Ben, and Bolland on you know on the line today. Hopefully that was much improved. Uh, Bolland actually had a lot more patter, but he stupidly um, didn't manage to record it. So there's a bit hit and miss at the start of the show. Massive thanks to the two lads from Blackburn who've given up their time on a Thursday night to speak to you people uh, and us about the uh, catastrophe that is Blackburn Rovers at the moment. Unfortunately, all the best to them for the future. We'll have a podcast out with you Saturday night about half five, six o'clock, hopefully. Um, One after Hull, we're all going to Hull. And uh, me and Ben will be at Forest as well. And then we'll probably do a bit of an extended one um, in that nine-day period we've got, or ten-day period, or eight, or whatever, before Birmingham at home uh, follow us on Twitter at TF Weekly Pod if you like what we do please leave us a review on iTunes it really helps us spread the word uh, and thanks for listening as usual